Hey, Junior here. Thanks for hitting play. This is such a fun topic. You know, the idea of creation and intelligent design, it's been thrown to the wayside in mainstream education and TV. But today we're talking about it, and the concept blows my mind. I hope it does for you as well. What comes to your mind when you hear the word creed? Is it, uh, is it this guy maybe? Creed Bratton from The Office. This guy, he's my favorite character in The Office. Like Jim and Pam, that whole relationship is like, blah. But Creed is where it's at in the show. Or, or maybe, uh, maybe this band, if you listen to Creed at all. I, I love listening to Creed in high school. You know, With arms wide open. <laughs> I was going to do the whole special, but they said no. Um, I, I, no, I kind of like Creed in, in, in high school. Or maybe this comes to mind, Michael B. Jordan. Uh, if you're younger, if you're older, you're thinking of the actual like original like you know Apollo Creed. Um, but Creed, what, what, what's up with, with with Creed? Like you have TV characters, you have movie characters, you have bands. Like, what does it actually mean? Well, Creed comes from the Latin Credo, it just means I believe. So in this series, Creed, what we're doing is something that Christians really need to do right now in this climate and in this culture. Christians, we need to nail down the core of our beliefs, what really matters, what unites us. There's so many things to disagree about right now. We're disagreeing about social justice and COVID and politics and worship styles and traditions and mandates. I mean, so many things to disagree about, and we've been doing our fair share of those disagreements, often breaking the heart of God in the process. I mean, we're getting angry, we're getting hurt, we're getting scared, but what actually brings us together? The majors, what unites us, well, our creed does. In a world that is becoming more and more shallow, where the term Christian is used very loosely, where lines are being blurred everywhere, it is our job as a church community to sit down and clarify and remind ourselves and teach our kids the essentials. Hey, this is what we hold on to, our creed. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to get a little traditional, which is uh, very unlike the bridge, but we're going to go back to something that the church has held on to for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, special to us because it is our essentials. It is massive theology packed in a little creed. It's a fat guy in a little theological coat, if you will. Got office reference, Tommy Boy reference. Man, I'm just giving you gold here. But for the next seven weeks, we're going to be talking about essential theology, creed, and more specifically, <clears throat> the Apostles' Creed. Rewind history a little bit. It's uh, 303 AD, Rome. Diocletian rules from Palatine Hill. He steps out on his patio, surveying his world class city on this clouded, brisk morning. The chilled wind cuts over the railing, sending a chill that snaps him awake. Down the streets, various construction crews are yelling to each other as they try to keep up with the demand to make Rome bigger and better than his predecessor. Squadrons of soldiers with their red feathered helmets stand in strategic stations all around Palatine Hill, guarding from any sort of insurrection, an insurrection that is more possible today. See, today, 303 AD, an edict has gone out, a major one, an edict that rescinds the rights of Christians. See, for a while, Christians were exempt from worshiping the state-approved gods. They were seen as a sect of Judaism. Jews were exempt from worshiping the uh, Rome's gods, and so Christians were as well, but no longer. Christians are now to bow to whatever the state has approved. And littered throughout the city are 
Christians, some ethnic Jews, some Greek, some Roman, some African, all followers of Jesus. And it is today's edict that will begin the boycotting of their businesses. It's textbook tyranny. First, you take their, away their ability to make their money through restrictions and social shaming. If they don't break, then comes prison, then beatings, last resort, cleansed by death. And Christians are quickly running out of resources. Many in the church have been beat. Some have been arrested, taken to the Colosseum, and eaten by lions as sport. See, for months, really for years, it was a consistent form of entertainment in Rome. You can go to the Colosseum and watch the Christians being slaughtered in the stadium. Families being eaten by lions. And this is where the creed comes in. Scripture has been confiscated from the church. And it's these people that begin to cling to something they called the Roman creed. Some claim the apostles wrote this before they left Jerusalem to preach. We're not quite sure. But this creed, the Roman creed, eventually named the Apostles' Creed, became the rallying cry for believers. It was short to memorize. It was the basics of their faith. It united Jew and Gentile. It united black and white. It united the Roman sympathizer and the zealot. They don't have scripture, but they could memorize this. This is what they held on to with their dying breath. And so maybe, you know, going into the series, like, ah, this feels really traditional. I'd rather be studying the book of the Bible. I'm with you. But it's this creed that gives us a rich, rich anchor to a rather sweet past. You think about it. As we look at and as we say these words, we are linking up with 1,900 years worth of Jesus followers. Many persecuted, many martyred. They gathered around this theology. Many sang these words with shaky voices, nervous voices as they're being arrested or watching their business burn. Some sang these words with their last dying breath. And now here we are. We got our turn at the wheel. They had the baton, and now we got it. And we should know this. We should champion this. We should teach this to our children. On the docket today is the first part. I believe in God the Father, almighty creator of heaven and earth. God, that is who we are talking to right now. Almighty Father, creator. And God, you will speak today. I, I ask that we listen, that we eliminate all distractions, and that we look to corporately and personally as well connect with you through your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Nehemiah 9, 6 is where we're at. Nehemiah 9, 6. I really encourage you to grab a Bible. we got Bibles in the chairs. Otherwise, phones, tablets. we got the Bridge app with the Bible. And then we also have notes on the app as well, so you have it all in one spot. But really encourage you to have a Bible. Uh, as, as a church, we are, I mean, our foundation is Scripture. And so we always want to be on the same page uh, together. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. This is a great verse to memorize. Um, if you highlight or underline in your Bibles, this is like a great verse to highlight or underline. Uh, we're looking at it closely today. Here's the beginning part of the verse. It says, you are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts. If we go back to Genesis chapter 1, Yahweh, God, called the stars out by name. He spoke them into existence as if they were nothing. Think about it this way. The sun is 93 million miles away from us, and yet it can scorch us. Last February, Nicole and I, we, we went to South Florida to, just to get away. We stayed at a friend's place. Uh, it was like our, our delayed 10-year anniversary. And the first day we got there, uh, Nicole said to me, she said, babe, can you just wear sunscreen? Like, don't ruin the trip by getting burned the first day and then, you know, being miserable for the rest of the time here. I didn't leave Chicago February, though, to run from the sun. So I pulled my hair back and I fell asleep on the beach. 
The next day, pieces of my forehead were flying off as I was driving, like chunks of skin, junior jerky, if you will. (laughs) 93 million miles away, destroyed my face. That's power. And Yahweh just spoke that orange ball of fire into existence. And comparatively, it's not even that big of a star. There's a, there's a star called Beetlejuice. And Beetlejuice is not just a show that my parents wouldn't let me watch growing up. It's also a star that is 700 times bigger than the sun. Well, the phone, let's think about this. Our Earth, our Earth, it's pretty big. If you want to fly to the other side of the Earth, it's going to take you more than a day of flying. It's a pretty big planet. One million of our Earths would fit in the sun. Beetlejuice is 700 times bigger than the sun. Some astronomers claim that there are stars so big we could fit our entire solar system inside of them. And Isaiah writes, Yahweh measures the span of the universe with its fingers. Whose might measures that of God? Who do you put in his weight class? To measure him against anything or anyone is a cosmic joke. And Yahweh knows it. In the book of Job, God says this, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Who laid its cornerstone? Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons? Do you know the laws of the universe? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Nehemiah writes, You are the Lord, you alone, you have made heaven the heaven of heavens with all their hosts. Maker of heavens spoke it into existence. How soon we forget, how big we feel. We need this reminder. You are a speck on a piece of dust in a vast universe in the hands of God. How soon we forget that. The other night I, I, I couldn't sleep. Uh, my mind was racing, and, and so I was texting a, a childhood friend of mine. He, he lives in New York, and he, he struggles with some of the stu- same stuff I struggle with, and so we're just up in the middle of the night texting each other away, and he sent me this cartoon that really helped me in this moment. It became my favorite cartoon. It's a, a woman taking a picture of a man, and, and he says, make sure you can see how insignificant I am. So good, isn't it? I've talked to people who say they don't like staring at the stars because it makes them feel insignificant. Oh, see, that's why I love it. When I, when I go to camp, I sleep so well. I was up at camp uh, this week, actually, actually by myself one night, just staring at the stars. I could stare at the stars for hours, remind myself I am so small. My problems, they are nothing for Yahweh. See, our minds down here, they, they race with anxiety and, and worries and problems and drama and disagreements and division. But as the band Switchfoot puts it so perfectly, but when I look at the stars, I see someone else. covid Political messes, family drama, society deterioration. It's nothing for Yahweh. I am so glad I believe in God the Father, almighty maker of heaven and earth. Nehemiah continues with that thought. He says, the earth and all that is on it. Well, let's not skip by that. One of my favorite, uh, my, our family's favorite pastimes is we go to the zoo. Um, we're, we're at the zoo, no exaggeration, weekly. Nicole will take the girls actually a couple times a week. It's like our second home. Like we walk into the zoo, we know all the employees by name and all the animals by name. And 
we love we love walking around, and, uh, and and Nicole and I we try to be very um, intentional with this. We, we try to point everything back to the Creator. Um, you know, let's enjoy God's work here. Let's enjoy God's creativity. Like the shoebill stork. You ever hear this guy? Stands five feet tall, eight foot wingspan, can take flight. Or the prairie dog and their complex tunneling systems. You ever walk into the, the bat house at the zoo, their, their built in radar? The humongous polar bear with paws that are bigger than the size of my face. Or the wildebeest, which you know, God has a sense of humor when you look at the wildebeest. It's like after he got done creating all the animals, he had like some leftover parts, and he's just like, just create the wildebeest. Designed, created, constructed, and sustained by God. I mean, I feel bad for people who don't believe this creed, not just because of where they're headed in eternity, but they can't appreciate the design of life as much without appreciating the designer and the sustainer. Love not Geo, but they would have nothing to show off if it weren't for God. And it was God who said, can you lead the bear to his cubs? Who gives the ibis wisdom or gives the rooster understanding? Do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of lions when they crouch in the den and wait and lie in the thicket? Who provides food for the ravens? He is designer, creator, sustainer, maker. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Nehemiah continues, earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. When I was in high school, I, my, my dad and I uh, got our scuba diving license. It was something that we could do together because my dad and I, we're, we're similar in a lot of ways, but we're very different in a lot of ways. We have very different interests. And so in high school, my dad was a wrestler. In high school, I was a basketball player. Um, and so we just didn't have many like, you know, interests that we could do together, but diving was one of those things that we could do. The sea, is, it's something else. It has taken my breath away underwater a few different times. Like that mature blue whale. That's not me diving, by the way. I wish it was. <laughs> These guys are the size of three school buses. Three school buses. If you laid this guy in the middle of a basketball court, you'd have to cancel the game. Well, dad joke. <laughs> the, the mimic octopus. The mimic octopus can imitate... Flounder, jellyfish, stingrays, sea snakes, rocks. How these guys change colors and blend in to the surroundings, unbelievable to watch them. The Mariana Trench is seven miles deep. It was recently explored by a, uh, a special submarine that had about four-inch thick titanium walls just to withstand the, the, like, the immense pressure in, in pure darkness. And yet they get down there and they notice there are fish there's life way down there in that pressure, in that darkness. Or have you ever, have you ever uh, stood in the waves of the sea? There's just sheer power. I took my youngest to the ocean to teach her how to boogie board. And the, the waves, they weren't that big. It was just Florida waves. We're throwing her around like a rag. And she loved it every time because she's crazy. But throwing her around like a rag. Doll. I mean, to be candid with you, they were throwing me around like a rag. A little four-foot waves. Surfers consider it a good sized wave at 20 feet. The sea holds so much power, so much life. It was he who says, Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? I said, This far you will come and no further. Here is where your proud ways halt. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea and walked the recesses of the deep? 
See, Christians aren't anti-science, anything but. Some of the most prolific uh, biologists, marine biologists, astronomers, scientists, leaders in their field pioneered their work because they just wanted to see more of God. They wanted to investigate God more, see who he is. Creation points to a creator. Life leaves clues of a designer. I love what St. Augustine wrote. He wrote, Men go abroad to wonder at the heights of the mountains, at the huge waves of the sea, at the long courses of the rivers, and the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motions of the stars, and they pass by themselves without ever wondering, without ever wondering who thought of this, who made this, who's holding this together, who gets the credit for this. Well, I believe it's God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Nehemiah continues, we're still in the same verse. He says, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. Preserve. He doesn't just create and walk away like a deadbeat. He creates, he preserves, he's holding it together. See, God is number one maker. God is maker. There's an interesting documentary series called this Genesis History. Uh, Nicole and I, we're, we're, uh, we're going to pick it up for our, our girls. I've run into little snippets on, on YouTube, but it's a great series. It's a series that dives into nature while interviewing leading marine biologists, scientists, astronomers about the idea of creation, intelligent design, which has been thrown to the wayside lately. I mean, if you watch like a, a Nat Geo today, for the most part, it's just taking evolution as, as pure fact. But leading scientists, many of them non-Christians, are saying it is a huge mistake to assume that there isn't a designer, maker, and a sustainer for all of this. Think of it this way. You ever go to an aquarium? Love going to, my family, we love going to the Shedd Aquarium in the city. Beautiful exhibits, colorful tanks, big fish, coral. I mean, they bring so much life into these aquariums. And so much manpower is devoted to keep these tanks alive. Like teams of staff working round the clock to keep alive these relatively small tanks. Compared to the massive ocean filled with life. How can this just happen? I don't have enough faith to believe it's just by chance. Who's sustaining this? Who's checking the oxygen levels? Who's checking the salinity? Who's managing the ecosystem? Who's routing the currents? It's not chaos. It's designed. It's organized. It's managed. There's a maker. When it comes to DNA, right now, in, in every cell of our bodies, is, is packed with DNA. I read uh, one scientist put it this way, which I didn't understand. He, he put it, um, every cell in your body is packed with three feet of DNA. How does that work? Like, what font size are you talking about that? I have no idea what that means. But um, I wasn't very good in biology. But biologists are, are now beginning to crack the code on, on DNA. It's pretty fascinating. I won't get much into it because, again, I'm no expert. I only passed biology because um, I took the course with my girlfriend, now wife, and she's the only reason I passed um, but this is interesting, so I've got to tell you this. The foundation of DNA is, is, uh, is made up of four units called nucleotides. These nucleotides combine to make 20 different amino acids. These amino acids produce more than 100,000 proteins. All of this makes a code that makes you who you are. It's a, it's, a, it's a personalized code, if you will. It determines your eye color, hair texture, size, all of that. Many biologists claim that our DNA, all of this, this coding, has all the hallmarks of language. It's extremely complex, yet extremely organized, and if you're able to crack it, it, it makes a lot of sense. 
And it's this that is making biologists not want to throw out intelligent design to the wayside. Because, and, and this is what we often hear, this is what kids often hear in, in school, and that is, well, life rose from matter. Okay, well, matter has to have DNA. It's not this simple. Matter has to have DNA. In order for there to be DNA, there has to be a language. In order for there to be a language, there has to be organization. For there to be an organization, come on, there's got to be an organizer. There has to be a writer. And it's this whole conversation about DNA encoding that is making guys like uh, Richard Dawkins, if you've ever heard of him, he wrote uh, The God Delusion, very staunch atheist. It's, it's guys like him that are making him second-guess his stance against intelligent design because this is, it's just too complex. It's too organized. It makes too much sense. There has to be a source behind it. Second law of thermodynamics states that energy tends toward equilibrium. Hot things will cool. Moving things will slow. Spinning things will stop unless there is a sustainer. That's the almighty maker. He creates within the womb. And some of you moms have felt this in your own belly, but in the womb, miracles happen constantly. <laughs> Around 20 weeks, a million optic nerve endings left the optic nerve center of your brain while a million optic nerve endings left your eye. And they all had to meet each other, the exact partner. A million looking for a million. And at the moment they met, they fused, they connected, and it gave you sight. Your eye is the most technologically advanced thing on the planet. Forget your iPhone, forget the sensors, forget the computers. It's your eye. Who came up with it? I believe God the Father, Almighty maker of heaven and earth. But it's better than that. We, we, don't, we don't just get a maker. The one who mapped orbit, spoke stars, and coded DNA, he wants to be more than a maker. He wants to be a father. His power is only matched by his love. You think about it this way. Why? You really, why? Would the God who formed the depths of the sea, who spun the planets, why would God care at all to be a father of an insignificant sinner on a broken speck called earth after we've overlooked him, after we've walked away from him? The tiny, little, rebellious, hard-to-deal-with, petty people. God wants to be their dad. How did Jesus teach us to pray? Almighty, big builder, holy genius. No. Jesus said you don't need a, to use a dictionary of systematic theology to address him. Just call him Abba. Just call him Dad. Because that's what he wants. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are holy. You are king of the universe. But you're also my dad. God is Father. And for some of us, we look at this, and this is just such an awesome, fun thought to grasp. It blows our mind, and we love it, because we've had awesome dads. Others of us look at this, many in here, we look at this, it's hard, because our dad wasn't, isn't great. He, he left, or he abused, or he's just difficult to please. And so that's the tricky part when it comes to this whole idea, is we tend to think of God in light of our earthly dads. Not always, but it's a psychological tendency. 
If your dad was distant, God is more distant to you. If your dad was harsh, God is more cruel to you. If your dad was cowardly, well, God is more permissive and not as just and really can't do anything about all, all the evil and just kind of winks at sin. I mean, I talk to people all the time. They have a messed up view of God because they see him in light of their jacked up earthly dad. That's why it's big on my heart. I, I, I pray this constantly. God, may I represent you well May, may my girls have an easier time seeing you for who you are because of how I represented you as their earthly dad. This is a fun point for some of us because we had great representations of what a father is. Difficult for others of us who had poor representations. But can I just say to those of you who've had poor representations, you have a father you never had but always wanted. Loving, merciful, there for you, present father. But again, it's better than that. He's an adoptive father. He chose you. He wants to be your father. It's not like he got stuck with you. He chose you. Adoptive dad. And not based on who you are or what you've done. It's all filthy rags. It doesn't matter. He chose you based on what his son Jesus did. It's like, a, it's like if you're good with my kids, you're good with me. Right? Your parents would say the same thing about yours. Best way to get in good with me? Be good to my kids. Now, if you're not good to my kids, like if you're hard on them, okay, now we got a problem. Like, I just don't want to be around you. You ain't coming to my house if I can help it. But if you're good to my kids, we're good. That's how it is with God. We walk into heaven, and God's like, what are you doing here? Like, I'm with Jesus. And the Father's like, well, then get in here. You hungry? Welcome home. God is Father, adoptive Father. Father and a maker. These two titles seem like they shouldn't even go together, right? Maker. Maker. I mean, nobody's like him. There's nobody in this class. He can do what he wants. He checks with no one. He's all power, almighty. With a snap of his finger, this is all gone. Like it never had been before. And with all of that might that he has, he takes on skin, he veils his glory, he dies on a cross to pay for the sin of a bunch of insignificant, hard-to-deal-with humans living on a speck in the universe. Why? To be our father. Like somehow these two titles, they come together beautifully in God. The truth is, you can't do anything about God being your maker. He just is. But you don't have to have him as your father. That's up to you. That's a relationship. A relationship that is more than a belief in fact. James, New Testament, Jesus' little half-brother James wrote, even the demons believe in God. It's not what gives you salvation, believe in God. Even the demons got that going for them. It's a relationship. It's the seeking. It's the lordship. It's the following after. It's the walking with God. It's a relationship. It's a relationship that he craves to have with you. It doesn't seem to add up, but that's what he wants with you. He's almighty maker and loving father. I had a lot of dad fails this summer. I don't know if any of you dads have had this, but I had quite a few this summer. Like I, I took my youngest, uh, Reese, fishing, and um, while I was on the, it was just her and I, while I was on the boat with her, she was talking, because she never stops talking, and on the other side of the boat, I heard just splash. Now, I didn't put a life jacket on her, and she fell in. So I dove on the boat, bloodied up my knees, grabbed her arm, you know, bring her up. She's coughing and crying. Like, dad, fail. Or a couple days later, I was driving on a golf cart up at camp. It was storming, and I had a meeting that night, and I promised the girls, I said, if you come with me to the meeting, I'll get you ice cream at the canteen. 
So on our way to the canteen, it's downpouring, it's dark, we're getting soaked as we're driving, and Madison yells out, Daddy, can you not go down the hill, the grassy hill where the golf cart will crash? But it's a shortcut, and I don't crash stuff. Like, I'll show her how good I am at this thing. So I yanked the steering wheel down the hill, started spinning, because the tires couldn't grip the wet grass. So we're spinning around in this golf cart, we hit a tree, Madison goes flying out of the cart. I found her laying in a puddle, holding her head, screaming. Well, she was okay, but dad failed. Both those times, both those times scared me good. Like when I pulled Reese out of the water, I, I held her tighter than I ever have, just sitting there on the edge of the boat. When I found Madison laying in the puddle, I, I scooped her up and I just sat in that rainy, muddy puddle as it was downpouring for quite a while, just holding her. Partly because I felt bad both times my fault, but also partly because I could have lost them. I don't want to lose them. They're mine. I'd rather drown. I'd rather split my head open a thousand times over. You parents know what this is like. Every time I go to a game or every time I go to a recital, I'm looking for mine in the crowd. The ones that look like their mama. The, the messy, uncoordinated, often annoying children. Because they're mine. And they bring me a smile. And they stir my love. I am their dad. And I'm proud of it. And I'm an idiot dad. How much more does the perfect father feel about you? Created in his image. Pinnacle of creation. Oh, he enjoys the handiwork of the megastars. And he walks the recesses of the deep. And he directs the migration. But he's looking for you. Because it's you he wants. It's you who stirs his love. Messy, often annoying, hard to deal with you and me. Us. He's almighty maker, but his favorite title is father. Is he yours? That's our so what. This is the question we always ask when we come out of God's word. God's word is transformational. God speaks through his words. We always ask ourselves, okay, how does this transform me? We don't want to just be hearers of the word, but doers as well. So what? What what does this mean? The question I want to leave with us today, this is where we start the creed, is, is the creator also your father? Do you have that relationship? The father has sacrificed everything for it. He's looking for you. He wants you. I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, would you give it a share? It goes a long way. Also, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't yet. Hey, God has something for you today. Go after it. Blessings. Blessings.